Well, hello everyone and welcome. This is the third episode of the Sourcing 7 podcast. We are going forward fast and uh, in today's episode it will be all about agency life, recruitment agency life, and we have two amazing community members of the Sourcing 7 community who volunteered their time and, and their knowledge, of course, to, to share it with us, uh, Vanessa and, and, and Jordan. Um, you are all coming from an, a mixed and an agency background as well, and and we will talk a lot about business development and operations and all that. But before we get into the you know the ropes, let's let's start with an intro. Uh, Vanessa, do you want to go first? Uh, uh, give a quick intro of yourself and your background to the audience. Sure. Thanks. Hi everyone. I'm Vanessa Flynn. I've been in recruiting for pretty much twenty years, and I founded a recruiting agency in Mauritius, South Africa and Seattle about five years ago. It's Bolt Talent Solutions. And yeah, I've been in corporate recruiting though pretty much my whole life and I never thought I would have a recruiting agency. Um, but looking forward to getting to know Jordan and chatting through some of our experiences together with Adam today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming. Uh, Jordan, do you want to do a quick intro as well? Sure. Yes. So my name is Jordan. Uh, hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Adam and Vanessa, for hosting me. Uh, I'm officially a manager of customer experience and development for Talento HCM, and we are a uh, professional executive search firm for corporate functions. And we also do staff augmentation as well. So uh, I have been in the IT uh, space here in the Pacific Northwest for about a decade. That's where I spent most of my time. And I've been in agency world for about 11 years, so a um, few years now. Wow, I bet a lot of changed in, in, in those times. Both of you have a, a plethora of experience and I, I think all of you went went through some some stuff, let's phrase it that way. But be, before we get there, uh, uh, we, before we get into the present, uh, I, would, I would want to learn a little bit about the past. Uh, um, it's rare to see people starting out in recruiting as their like first option of career, like out of college or out of high school. Uh, a lot of us just like end up here somehow, right? Uh, uh, phrasing that in a very good way, not not with with a, with with the bad intention of like ending up in a place. Uh, but um, wondering if you, if you would be open to to sharing of sharing your story of like how did you get into recruiting, like what. What was your very first recruiting job and, and, and why did you take it? How did you get there? Who, who wants to go first? I can take that one. Um, so when I finished high school, I had no idea what I wanted to study, if I wanted to go to university or college or not. And it was quite a daunting transition when you're leaving high school. And uh, one of my family members, my uncle, he was a lawyer and he had a really great network and he was like you really shouldn't have to figure this all out on your own like go for some industrial psychology testing some psychometrics and you'll see what your personality preferences are what you're really good at and what you enjoy doing and maybe that'll give you some more insight into what career paths you should you should follow so I went thinking it would be like a one hour meeting it ended up being hours of testing and I left pretty exhausted but intrigued of what the outcomes would be so I had a feedback session two weeks later and I actually learned so much about myself because it kind of forced me to 
do all these exercises and and just focus on me for a few hours and i really loved the experience and i loved the feedback that i had and i left that meeting pretty inspired and saying that's actually what i want to do so i decided to enroll in industrial psychology and occupational psychology and yeah i went to college graduated and like everyone after graduating or especially coming from south africa so i'm sure you're all wondering what my accent is i went um, to school in South Africa. I was born in a little island of Mauritius on the east coast of, of Africa. Um, and I got the kind of travel, travel bug after graduating uh, college and decided I was going to go to Europe for a one-year adventure. Um, and I went to Dublin and Dublin was really kind of heating up at that stage around the, the tech hub. Um, Ireland was really inviting a lot of American multinationals to set up their shared service centers in Dublin. And I think it was just about being in the right place at the right time. And I got hired into the European Shared Service Center in Dublin. And we had about 1,200 employees. And my first job was a contact center agent. So a call center, after sales, customer service agent. Um, and I think I lasted about six months in that role, but my view was always just to get into HR and I was very lucky that I got into an HR team and my first official job was recruitment administration um, and I had the, the task of printing resumes and filing them in folders um, and then handing it over to the recruiters and the different hiring managers around her. So there was the the beginning, but if I had to really kind of share my age, my first real job when I look about recruiting was my dad had his own executive recruiting agency and part of my pocket money allowance um, was to receive all the faxes that came in to his desk. There was no internet and we had telephone books, big directories that I had to cut these faxes um, and put these CVs and resumes in between two telephone directories and he used to have in-person face-to-face interviews with all his candidates. Um, he had a Polaroid camera and another part of my job was to cut out the pictures and then stick them on these resumes and there was like this gluing machine that I had to put these pictures and, and um, pages together in this beautiful binder where he would personally go to his clients and then present his candidates. So, I didn't know when I was 14, 15, that this is what I would end up doing and how things would have changed. But that's kind of, I think I was just always destined to be in recruiting. So, yeah. Amazing story. And like, wow, it sounds like uh, uh, you were like, actually like destined to be on the path. Like even if you would wanted to do something different, like no yeah. way, it looks like, yeah. it looks like that it runs in your, in your family blood, right? Uh -huh. um, exactly. Amazing. Thank you for thank you for sharing. And what about you, Jordan? Uh, were you also destined to, to be a recruiter or you found your your recruiting career sometime later and, and, and started calling it a home? Great question, Adam. Uh, I was not destined to be a recruiter. In, in fact, most of the people that I associate with or that work I work with now fell into recruiting. I think that's the old joke, right? We all wanted to do something else and fell into recruiting, but uh, I think that will change in the future. But getting back to my story, I actually, out of college, I sold Google AdWords to small businesses. And so 
I would be cold calling small businesses, trying to get them to set up an account with us and advertise their business on Google. And this was back in the day when Google was, you know, really trying to get businesses on their platform to advertise. And so it was kind of an arms race for companies to be first on Google, so to speak. And so it wasn't a great uh, first job. I learned a lot about sales, but I also learned a lot about what I didn't want to do. And the reason I got into recruiting was I'd go home and my roommate at the time, he was working at Volt in Orange County. And we would share stories of our first, you know, big boy job out of college, so to speak. And he would say, yeah, I get to call people with job opportunities and they, they love talking to me and I get placements. And I'm like, yeah, I get to call business owners who want nothing to do with me and the product works okay at best. And I was like, I want to call people with jobs. Like that sounds great. And so that sort of led to my curiosity of recruiting. And then I was able to leverage my roommate to get into Volt as an employee relations coordinator, basically, you know, doing payroll. Um, at the time it was in Costa Mesa. I, I, they still may be there. I'm not sure. Uh, but there was a lot of walk-in folks who would do, you know, a week assignment um, or warehouse type work. And so I was, you know, inputting them into the system and then handing them over to the recruiters. And it was a small office. So then there's two recruiters and two salespeople. They didn't have a need for another recruiter and I was brand new. So I was learning uh, from the two recruiters there. And uh, that's how I, I got into the recruiting business. Wow, you were saying, uh, what, 11 years now? Uh, I, yeah. I bet you learned a couple of stuff since then. Is there anything that you would highlight as like one thing, like you wish someone would tell you that uh, when you started out, uh, um, is there something that you would highlight? I would just say patience, long suffering, perseverance, like looking back at those initial conversations of talking to people and getting them jobs. I just assumed like everybody I talked to was so nice. They were going to get hired and that's just not the reality of it. Right. But when you start in the, in the role, you're like, Oh, this person's great. They're going to get hired. This person's great. They're going to get hired. And so, uh, really, it would have been nice to know going into it that you're going to have to talk to a lot of really good candidates. And out of those really good candidates, only a handful of them will actually be selected. Um, and then also, I wish somebody would have told me, because it was really hard at the beginning to get used to that rejection and having to tell good people know that um, even the people that you don't place, you'll build relationships with down the road and it will be fruitful. So it's not like a, a wasted conversation. And I look at it now as like every good business conversation I have with a client or even a candidate uh, that opens a door um, for networking purposes down the road that you can't foresee today. And so when I was just out of college, it was very like, I need a placement. I need to get, you know, I felt bad for these people. And so having that long-term perspective would have been helpful in at least controlling my, uh, you know, ups and downs, so to yeah. speak. Of, of yeah. You just like refresh my memory around how transactional I was when I first started my recruiting career. Um, especially where we were, there was like high volume recruiting where we had to hire 10 people for a certain market by a certain date. And there was just so much pressure every week. We had like this manpower meeting with all the directors and they'd be like, how many people have you got? How many interviews? How many submissions? How many people are you going to have in seat for that training? The training starting on this date. And the pressure was just all around getting kind of bums on seats. Um, and I wished if I had looked back, now, if I could give advice to myself, um, was really about the long-term relationship building and the why you actually are doing recruiting. It's because you love 
talking to people, helping people, um, helping them find their way. And sometimes you lose sight of that because candidates are people and they're not just a resume and you don't have to just constantly buy to that pressure of filling that position um, and, and really about let's actually engage with a person and build long-term relationships with your hiring managers and your candidates because that's what's really going to stand to you as a recruiter and just how you feel about yourself when you when you look back at your career so yeah i fully echo that uh, jordan love to see how both of you highlighted the importance of, of of networking and also mentioned the different let's call it personas uh, uh, within within our world like you need to build relationships with uh, candidates with people with people who are making potentially like life-altering decisions right like of changing a job maybe relocating somewhere maybe shifting careers etc uh, but at the same time you need to manage a relationship with like hiring managers you want to to hire those people and and I think there is like a third persona over here that we need to talk about, and that's the, the buyer's persona, the person who is buying your services. In some cases, it could be, you know, the hiring manager itself, but in a lot of times it's it's someone else in the in, in the company. And that's how we kind of like land into the, the, the world of business development within recruiting. Um, in your experience, and maybe Jordan, we can we can we can start with you as as well, you might not have been destined to to get into recruiting, but hey, your first job was also a sales type of job, right? Like, and and here we are again. Um, so, in your experience, uh, uh, if we think about business development within the recruiting space, <coughs> excuse me. So, when we talk about business development in the recruiting space, like. What are the most effective strategies that uh, individuals and or bigger agencies can use? Are there are there any like top three that you would you would want to highlight to the audience? That's a great question, Adam. And you know, I I'm going to stay stray away from saying there's a best strategy for everybody. I think each salesperson has their own unique style, and they need to figure out what that. Uh, I think omnichannel is the best. Let's just let's just put that out there, right? So I don't think there's one method that you should use at the expense of others. I think omnichannel, especially in today's day and age, where, uh, where a lot of buyers are working from home, you can no longer just call into their office anymore, which used to be a very effective strategy, especially outside of IT. But now it's like you have to figure out what their mobile phone numbers are. The data has to be good in order to connect with them, and so. It, it, you know, and then the importance of building a brand on LinkedIn, right? Having that be uh, producing content that your audience would want to see or that they find valuable. And then, you know, there's a lot of AI automation tools, sequencing tools that we all use. And so, you know, making sure that your copy is is good. So if I had to pick three, uh, my, me personally, I like the phones. Uh, I can tend to build rapport pretty quickly with strangers over the phone. And uh, you know, it's it's a numbers game, right? So I'm still going to get hung on hung up on majority of the time, or told to pounce hand majority of the time. But I'm able to respectfully cold call people, and I I think it's because I've been doing it for years. And also now, I as somebody who gets a lot of cold calls for various reasons in my personal life, uh, I can you know understand how to approach people better than when I was first starting, right? And so it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of uh, grit, I should say, because nobody likes getting rejected that, you know, that much, especially live and in person. But, uh, you know, if I had to pick one means of generating new business or opening new doors, it would be the phone. 
And then outside of that, it would be now at this point in my career, it would be networking and, and the relationships I've built. So a lot of the success that I've had recently has been with people who've worked with me before. And those, you know, contract negotiations and or intake calls or business discussions tend to go a lot faster because there's trust that has already been established. And so those transactions or those uh, interactions, I should say, uh, move a lot quicker uh, than just cold outreaching to somebody because they don't know you. You know, maybe it sounds great, but um, they're busy and, you know, you're not quite somebody that they trust just yet. you got to earn that trust down the road. But uh, I would say phone calls. Um, leveraging your network of people you've worked with before and then, you know, sending a good uh, copy or good email or good message to somebody who is actively looking to hire is, is very powerful. So those are the three avenues that I would that I would go to immediately if I was building a book of business from scratch or if I was going to mushroom an account, let's say. Awesome. Just to clarify, when you when you say omnichannel, do you mean multiple channels to approach the leads? Uh, like, let's say, you know, when you're reaching out to someone, you put them in a sequencing and like email, phone, LinkedIn message, Twitter DM or X DM or whatever we need to uh, reference Twitter X these days. Like, do you mean that that's a multiple channel approach or by omnichannel, it's more of like your communication platforms of uh, uh, posting online and calling people and all that? Like. Is it omnichannel on your end or on the receiving end? Yes. Both. Okay. <laughs> the answer to that is yes. All of that, right? Because, um, you know, there, now there's a lot, there's a, a big premium on eyeballs to your content, right? And so I think building a personal brand, doing, you know, stuff like this and sharing ideas and being collaborative is is valuable. And so I think you need to, the pro, I, I don't know what the stat is. It used to be where it would take five to seven touches, whatever, whether that's a phone call, an email, or you know some sort of you know drop drop off you know dropping a note or something like that before they would buy and most salespeople give up after two or three times right so now with the rise of AI and I know we'll talk about this later but it, it's they're just being bombarded there's a lot of uh, noise out there and so you really have to you know establish credibility and I think a good way to do that now is to have a good following on LinkedIn or post valuable content or go to meetups. I mean, that's how I, I ended up here was we had a great conversation at the S7 uh, meetup at Expedia in downtown Seattle a few weeks ago. And that was my first time I'd ever you know, shown up to one of the events and I had a great time and we made a connection and here we are. So stuff like that I see as being the future, building a brand I see as being the future. It doesn't have to be, you know, when I think of building brands, I think of like, you know, the mega stars, right? It doesn't have to be that way, but in your little ecosystem, in the people who you connect with and your relationships, like what value are you demonstrating? What value are you giving to your network? Because it can't just be about, hey, you have a rec, give it to me. It has to be about demonstrating that value, demonstrating that you're going, it's going to be a partnership and not a transaction. And that's where I think a lot of agencies make a mistake is that to Vanessa's point, they treat it like a transaction. And there is a speed component to this game that, that has to be addressed. But you have to have the relationship first. I mean, that's just how it has to be. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Vanessa, any any success stories uh, uh, or like tricks and tips uh, uh, related to growing your agency yeah. that, that you would be willing yeah, and open um, to share? I think that's my biggest development area is having come from corporate recruiting where I was an in-house talent acquisition leader. I was on the receiving end of sales and business development calls, emails, and just my inbox was flooded from different agencies 
selling their product. And I, I think my biggest takeaway was don't sell a product. Um, you need to be able to really show value of how your expertise and that you truly are an expert in your field and that you're going to help them transform their business units, their business, their biggest challenges that they're facing right now and really trying to understand and have clarity from people that you're engaging with of what their largest headaches are, what keeps them up at night um, and trust in your expertise that you do have that you know, you're going to be giving value first and helping them before you actually even talk about what you do, your terms and, and how you're going to be able to make money off that transaction. So that's been my biggest learning. Um, I think omni-channels for me, it's just ever moving so fast. So as an agency owner, it's keeping up with what your competitors are doing, always being obsessed with technology because that is the game and, and sales is a numbers game. So unfortunately, as much as I hate emails and doing automated email campaigns, um, I think gone are the day where you can only just leverage your ref, your network or your, your uh, relationships that you have. You've got to go in at all different angles, but ultimately where I think the largest potential is, is where you've built your relationships and how you can really show your value of how you're going to help them before you uh, just send over terms and, and get into the commercials. <laughs> the yeah. nitty gritty stuff. How do you maintain that? Like, how do you, from a an operational standpoint, like how how do you maintain that grit and how do you build a system or or, or framework to to keep that running on a, on a on a day to day? Um, whoever wants to take this question, uh, either from a core sales standpoint, we can talk about tooling or, or just mindset standpoint. Like how, how do you maintain that and, and come back to the factory day after day and, and keep on the Just grind? put the pressure off yourself. Like you don't have to have all the answers and all the tools. It's impossible, right? So as an agency owner, you have to juggle so many different moving targets and leveraging external experts, the same as we try and tell our clients to utilize us for our expertise in recruiting. Like I'm by no means a business development or marketing or sales expert. And I don't have to be as an agency owner, but I do have to partner with people that really know their stuff and will partner with us and guide us and keep us smart and help us fail and help us test new things all the time um, and to be current. So it's not something that I have built in-house. We leverage multiple different experts in that field to help me because my background is not sales and business development. It's it's HR and recruiting and talent acquisition. Nice. It's uh, good to hear. It's good to hear that uh, you know you don't you don't need to be a, a an expert in everything and and there are other people out there that are are willing to to partner with you. What about you, Jordan? From a um, a sales operation standpoint like is there is there anything that uh, you could share as like best practices or maybe even tools uh, um, tool type of tools to use or, or ways to approach the day-to-day -day challenge of, of running business development for uh, uh, recruiting that's a great question and you know I think we have to start at the foundation right so when you're trying to understand a methodology for something like sales which is you know, inherently very challenging and filled with rejection. And most people 
you know, most people don't want to hear no, right? So it's just not a fit for most people right off the bat. So I personally think you have to, you'd be, I'm a forever optimist. So I wake up every day and like, no matter how many no's I had the day before, I'm going to get that yes, or when I, I'm going to get that good connection, excuse me. And so you have to be you know, optimistic, otherwise you just won't last. Right. I've been doing this a decade now. And so sometimes I, I can't even believe it. I've been doing it that long. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. And it's because I'm having fun doing it. And also you have to be curious. Right. So good business development is really understanding. Uh, it's understanding pain points, it's understanding the business. And so I am very interested. Uh, my dad is a technologist. He worked for IBM for many years and small software companies before then. I am not uh it was a communications major in college, right? So I don't have a computer science background, but I'm very interested in how technology interfaces with the business. And so the curiosity when I get on with a software engineering manager who's got a team of 150 people and a group in India that he's managing, it's very interesting to me to understand how that team interacts with the business to drive that business forward. And then how I can potentially fit in there by providing a resource to help them hit their deliverable. So like you have to want to get up and be okay with rejection. You have to be thinking like, I'm gonna get to that. Yes, I'm gonna find somebody who needs a service. I'm gonna find somebody who's gonna connect well with me and we're going to move forward, right? So you have to have that first or you just won't get up and do it because it is a grind. Um, the other part of that, the operations piece of it, the actual blocking and tackling, I call it. It's for me, I'm not naturally organized. So I time block my calendar. Uh, I you know, every you know you could watch a lot of thought leaders on getting stuff done. Uh, it basically is how you want to bottom line it, and it's just managing your time. We all have the same amount of time in the day, and so what are you doing with that time to move the business forward, or to build more connections, or to get your message out? And so for me, I try to time block prospecting first thing in the morning if I can, so that I get the hardest thing done first. And then maybe I save a connection call or a networking call or you know a happy hour with somebody that I know later so that I get the hard stuff done, but it, I do get it done first thing and it, it happens. And then after that, I can move on to things that are a little bit less challenging. And I use tools like Outlook to, to time block my, my day. And I use HubSpot, um, I really like HubSpot a lot, it's a CRM. Uh, customer relationship management and it, it's got a lot of cool functionalities it, it tells you who to call when to call and it has a lot of different uh you know ways to look at how many emails have i sent how many connections who's looking at these emails and so you can kind of understand what's working and what's not and then adjust on the fly so those are just a few things that i use to to kind of keep yeah, the machine and going you touched so on such speak. an interesting thing there around hubspot and crm so that's been a massive learning journey for us and what gets measured gets done, right? So when you look at a CRM tool and you can see how mm -hmm. many sales call have happened in a day within your team, at what stage of the sales journey are your clients, actually your prospective clients um, going through and what's the conversion ratio, where are things dropping off, where are things bottlenecking and you really need to utilize data with all this technology that everyone's playing around with. If you can't pull data from it and then strategically look at it and say, okay, where's my ROI? Who are our avatar clients? Who are my top sales performing um, agents that are actually closing deals? If you're not doing that, then you're just aimlessly waking up every day and praying that you're gonna land that next big deal, right? Um, so that's where technology and recruiting really meets and hits the road. Um, and that's that's where, that's where I think a lot of the, the conversation goes around continuous development and that curiosity of 
being in the know of what's happening in tech because it's so important at every single stage of our recruiting process. So from client acquisition right through to looking at your 90-day turnover stats of your quality of hire, um, technology is at the heart of what recruiting is. It's no longer like what my dad started where he had this folder and he had to remember all these candidates and like his business was him, right? Whereas now as agency owners, we have the privilege of yes, having and building great teams, but it doesn't end and start with who you have in your organization. It all comes down to your processes and systems that you build. I'm really, really happy that you that you brought up processes and, and, and system and Jordan, that you mentioned the importance of, of time. Like uh, uh, you got to allocate time to stuff to, to get it done. And Vanessa, you were saying that not measured, it won't happen. So I'm thinking about that intersection and I'm, I'm, I'm looking mostly at, at you for this question, Vanessa. As, a, as an agency owner, what are the triggers that you should look out to for when thinking about technology and implementing new technology like all the things can be done in an excel spreadsheet right like one what are the tipping points when when your tech stack as an agency should evolve like introducing an ats introducing a crm system maybe a sequencing system etc what what pain points or triggers are out there that people should look out for if they're running a one person or a a, a small to medium yeah. sized agency um i had uh, the projects of implementing a global applicant tracking system in the Hertz Corporation across the entire global organization. Um, and I had to go through an RFP process and I was very junior in my career and I had really a great partner in the PMO office who helped me understand when you do an RFP, what that scorecard needs to look like, what are the things that you need to do in preparation for an RFP. So, you know, there's so many shiny, nice objects out there and every salesperson that has an ATS or a CRM is gonna tell you why their system is better than the competitors. But if you walk into those calls and you haven't mapped out properly, what is the process that works for your organization? What is your vision for how you wanna do recruiting? If you walk into those conversations, you're just going to walk out overwhelmed, confused, and it, you, I don't know, it's just really, really intimidating when you go through RFP processes and you're looking at investing, which is going to be a long-term relationship with the technology provider that's going to differentiate you in the market. Um, and my biggest learning from that was preparation when you're looking at a tech stack really identify what the process is and what you want to offer to the market and what your clients are frustrated with when they're dealing with other agencies or they're dealing with their own in-house recruiting teams. Um, and flexibility. So the best successes that I've had with implementing technologies is when I found a tech vendor that's not going to be like a plug and play, like this is our system, this is our process, and you're going to be just a ticket number at the end of a call but when you find a technology provider that i think is still up and coming hungry to evolve and really wanting your business and willing to be flexible and work with you in devising a workflow and a process within their technology that's going to work for you as the customer that's been my biggest successes and um, so the two big ATSs that, that I've had the privilege of implementing. For me, one was ISIMS. When they first started out, we were looking at a lot of different um, big, big enterprise solutions, but we actually decided to go with a small 
um, ISIM's team that were just starting out and they were just so eager and ambitious to build and develop what we needed as an organization. And then the one that we're currently using in, in our agency is JobAdder. Um, and it all came down to the relationships with the sales guy that I think I first met with and his willingness to find my vision for my business and what I wanted to bring to the market. And he genuinely connected me with the dev team and was like, this is her biggest challenge. This is what Vanessa's looking for. And they gave me more than one solution and how I could actually bring that to life. And that gave me the confidence of really sticking with this provider. So that's, that's a little bit around the tech stack stuff that we did. Awesome. And iSIMS, job adder, if you guys are listening, you want to sponsor, we are open for it. So if, if, we, call, if we call them out, then also one, one last thing that I want to uh, put out there is just to make sure that everyone in our audience uh, uh, knows what we're talking about. When you say RFP, you mean request Correct. for proposal, Correct. right? Cool stuff, cool stuff. Uh, Jordan, what about you in the, in the sales world? Like, are there any triggers or, or pain points that come up that pushes or should push people to move away from an Excel to a CRM or from a mail merge to a, a, a sequencing software? Like, are, are there things where the trade-offs are starting to, to worth it based on savings maybe in time or, or money? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I probably don't have the visibility into shopping those programs like Vanessa does, but uh, from a day-to-day -day, uh, user perspective, absolutely. I, I, I'm a big fan of HubSpot. I know I keep saying that, but it's relatively inexpensive from what I understand, and their functionalities are awesome. So uh, Vanessa said something earlier about technologies out there. It's about technology. She's absolutely right, but yeah. the technology is a tool, and it shouldn't be I, oh, I'm just going to get caught up in the technology and pressing all these buttons. Like the technology is a tool to get me in front of the customer, to get me in front of somebody who could potentially use my service or to get me in front of people who need help with hiring and things like that. And so the technology, I, I feel like we're, especially here in Seattle, there's this like almost overemphasis on it and sales is still sales, right? It's about connecting with people. And when we went to the whole COVID thing, we, everything was virtual. That was challenging for me and for a lot of people and organizations were trying to figure it out. And now everybody's used to the Zoom thing. But once you do get back into a room with people and you do connect with people on the phone, it, it makes a huge difference. So for me, it's just finding a technology that doesn't, it, it doesn't take a lot of your time doing administrative tasks, but that helps you get your message in front of people who need what you're, what you're selling. And so I, I'm a big fan of, you know, tools like HubSpot. I've used Job Diva in the past. That was a very um, intuitive tool, the most intuitive recruiting software for recruiting and sales, which I thought was impressive. And I, I've used bigger enterprise softwares. I won't name them here, but uh, they, they were just clunky and not really meant for the staffing business. Right? Staffing moves quickly. You get submittals, you get projections. You have to have a software that's agile. And a lot of those bigger softwares, they just weren't agile enough. They're meant for bigger you know, maybe software deals or bigger managed service deals. And so you need something that's going to move with the flow of the recruiting business and also not break your budget at the same time, but also allowing the people who make your money, recruiters and salespeople, to not be frustrated with using the CRM every single day because you have to click five times for the same thing, right? So uh, for me, it's, you know, using things like HubSpot, using, you know, uh, smaller uh, iSIMS is pretty good. I've used that before too. So the companies like that, that yeah. get the agility of the business that aren't massive 
um, but still hold your database of candidates and still remind you to follow up and build that connection with your client. And so I think you really have to find a balance between price and functionality is what it comes down to. Amazing. And it's kind of like bringing us to the to the scaling problem, right? Like uh, as soon as you start to implement technology, you're able to deliver more in less amount of time or the same amount of time. So you're able to like grow and just deliver more. And that sometimes can become a, a in my opinion, a, a scaling problem that um, you lose maybe focus or one part of your business is running faster than the other or one, one part of your team is maybe running faster than the other. Um, do you have any advice on how to balance that, like how to balance growth while still maintaining quality of overall service? Like the the candidates quality is still high, the the networking piece and connection piece with the stakeholders, the stakeholder management is still on par. Like what, what, what can you say about that balance? Like what are the best uh, uh, tricks and tips to maintaining. Yeah, we always look at that in three things, process, people, technology. Um, and scaling, especially when you are a recruiting agency, self-funded, woman-owned, and we kind of launched, and as we launched, then COVID hit. Um, I've kind of had a really interesting ride over the last five years of how to scale our organization. So we started out with me, myself, and I, then I had three people, um, and we kind of, COVID hit and we actually grew during COVID and it was because we adopted new technology platforms and we pivoted into the tech space when we were predominantly um, in the marketing, digital marketing space. And we saw what was happening in e-commerce. We saw what was happening with online purchasing and everybody being afraid of leaving their homes or not actually being able to go and do a face-to-face -face interview. So it's about speed, right? So when you see an opportunity, you can't think too long about things and you need to take risks and you need to move fast um, and just put everything you've got into really capitalizing on the opportunity when there is a crisis or when you see a gap um, with, with a new client prospect. So the things that we did in our business that really put us to where we are today, we grew from three people and we now have 15 permanent employees within our organization and we continually continuously growing. We also have a hybrid team of individuals um, that support us on a contractor basis when big opportunities come available. So when you're scaling, um, if you do it all permanent hire, it's, it feels risky, it's expensive, and it can be quite daunting as a sole entrepreneur or when you're starting out. So use offshoring as a, as a serious, serious uh, competitive advantage. And I don't think a lot of people are fully leveraging that yet. So my team are based in Mauritius. We also have people in South Africa. I've got a recruiter in Canada. Um, so leveraging offshore teams that will be able to follow the sun um, are cost effective, really hungry for opportunity and are highly skilled and bilingual. That's something that's really stood to our organization. And then technology, just a story around that was in COVID, we implemented automated one-way video interviewing technology. And we were one of the first to do that in the countries and the markets that we serve. So when people couldn't go and do interviews and also when we were too afraid to hire when everything was on a hiring freeze in COVID, we leveraged technology to implement ways for us to screen candidates utilizing technology with our hiring managers. And we had great uh, clients that were 
eager, curious, and willing to try new things with us. And we offered that for free to our clients. We're like, we'll invest in the technology, just go along this journey with us. And they were like really excited to do it and it worked out really well. Where our hiring managers had five questions that they would give us that they would normally ask in their first round screening interview. We automated that process utilizing um, technology that integrated into our applicant tracking system. And our speed to hire, quality to hire, and just client satisfaction went through the roof, which really put us on the map. And that was us during a crisis where everybody else was kind of on a hiring freeze and kind of letting their recruiters go. So that was that. And then around people and process, um, my background was in Lean Six Sigma, and Lean Six Sigma is normally seen with like the Toyota Way and manufacturing organizations, and very rare do you actually take that into a people part of the business or a service-oriented business. But I was very lucky at Hertz with the PMO office to implement Lean Six Sigma within recruiting, and that's when we realized scaling. In order for you to scale, if you have a lot of waste in your process and duplication, um, you can have the best intentions to scale, but it's actually just going to be way too costly and customer satisfaction is, is just going to drop because there's too many bottlenecks within your process. So um, before you scale and you look at how many resources you need to build your team or deliver a service to your client, make sure that you just scrutinize your process, automate as much as you possibly can and keep refreshing it and use the people within your organization who are actually the experts of the process, not the leadership team, because we don't recruit anymore. And, you know, really engage with your team and listen to their pain points about what they hate about your system and where they get frustrated with the hiring managers and the feedback loops and how that feedback loop happens and get them to innovate constantly and continuously around improving your process, because that's how you're going to be able to effectively scale. I hear innovation, 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 like transparency. And empower your team. And yeah, of empower your people. They are the experts of the process. Don't just go from like a top-down approach. Wow. Uh, Jordan, um, anything to add to that? A, a, a lot of times, and here's the reason I'm asking this, uh, a lot of times I saw a disconnect within some bigger agencies uh, between the sales and business development part of the organization and the delivery organization. Like, is there such thing as too good sales uh, uh, that the delivery uh, group cannot cannot pick up? That's a great question. I, I think just given the nature of both roles, there's always going to be a little bit of healthy tension, I think, and, and that's a good thing, right? So recruiters always want salespeople to qualify better and salespeople always want recruiters to have more candidates. And I think a little, th this is an urgency business. And so like a little bit of that is good, right? And talking about scaling, I think most salespeople would say, well, there's, you know, I always want more, more, more. But for me, I, I don't ever want to tell a client, especially a client I have a relationship with, that I can deliver when I can't. And I think a lot of agencies, uh, newer uh, folks anyway, have happy ears. And so if they hear of a lot of opportunities or if a manager says something or a decision maker or a business says they need something that we know we don't really focus on, it's best to be transparent with them and say, you know, Mr. Manager, Mr. Decision Maker, uh, we really don't focus on this space. So, uh, you know, probably I can give you a few resources of, of companies who do call me when you have this type of issue or when you have these types of positions. And so 
scaling in areas that you have a core competency in and you know, and as a salesperson, you need to know what your recruiters can deliver on. Because at the end of the day, I can sell a lot, but if we don't fill that role with a good candidate, it doesn't matter. The client's unhappy, nobody bills anything, and the, you waste the candidate's time too because they're not qualified and they don't get the job. So I think that the best way to do that is to really position yourself in areas that you do well and to communicate to hiring managers uh, what those are and how you can help. And that starts by listening to the problem at the beginning on the outset and understanding if you can help. And one of the most powerful things as a salesperson is to just be like, you know, we aren't actually the best resource for you right now in this particular area, but when it comes to this part of the process or this part of the organization or this kind of hiring engagement, we're your company, give me a call at this point. And managers respect that. And then when they do have those opportunities, you're the first person to think of because they trust that you can deliver because you didn't just say yes to everything on the front end. And it reduces a lot of chaos on the back end too because your recruiters get frustrated by filling stuff that isn't normally what they, they're used to filling. And then when you do bring stuff in, it's a lot of stuff that's really good, profitable business that makes sense for everybody. So you have to really understand what you can deliver and communicate that effectively. It's all about the mindset. That, that's what I hear. Understanding and, and, and having the mindset of being open and honest and not, we can do anything type of uh, pushiness, right? Uh, uh, there might be a place for that as well. I think a lot of times the odd, quote unquote, odd clients or odd jobs uh, open some interesting doors uh, and, and force a, a pivot. Uh, for the delivery group, uh, but yeah, honesty and transparency. But talking about mindset, I, I, I hear words related to that over and over and over again. Some of you mentioned grit early on and, and being able to face rejection and, and, and all that. Um, how important was your mindset in your in your whole whole journey in the recruitment world and did it shift somewhere in the middle yeah um i think growth mindset is something that you hear all the time and being an entrepreneur is a very humbling process um it has a lot of benefits and it's exciting and it's fun and you go through a honeymoon stage of having all this freedom. Um, but then you also start realizing that where you were in corporate and you had this amazing network of people within your organization that you could just go to the finance director and you could just walk across the corridor to the marketing team and get them to help you build a campaign. You do kind of feel a bit isolated in that you have to have all the answers as an entrepreneur, especially in the early days when it is just you and then you slowly building your team and bringing people along and hiring the right people. Um, so growth mindset is so important and, and know that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not know anything and everything about everything that comes with business, but really surrounding yourself with the right people that genuinely are going to look out for you and give you solid sound advice, just not what you want to hear. Um, but really look out for you and challenge you and kind of hold you to account on some of the strategies that you set out to achieve and having good mentors and people within your organization and your team that you can be fully transparent with about what you're going through and, and not having to do it all on your own. So I've been very lucky to have um, a senior team as well as a, a group of recruiters that kind of have been on this journey with us for the last five years. And we have very transparent communication 
about how we're feeling, what's going on, the warts and all, and and being able to kind of help one another out and, and lift one another when we're feeling down or when imposter syndrome sets in. Um, but also like celebrating the successes and making sure that you're rewarding everyone and that you're checking in on everyone's mindset, not just your own, but you know, how are your team doing and how are you actually engaging with the people within your organization and your clients um, and being super open about kind of what's happening. So it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a roller coaster. Um, being an entrepreneur, it's, it's, if it was easy, I think everyone would be doing it. Um, and yeah, just learn every single day and pick yourself up and, and know that when times get tough, things will pick up again. And if it's, if it's too tough, you need to be able to reach out to your network and, and lean on your friends and colleagues, peers and family. Awesome. Um, Jordan, what about you? I, I, if I remember well, early in your career, you, you had a stint on the actual tech recruiting side, right? Um, did when you shifted uh, uh, roles sort of, was there a shift in your mindset as well? Uh, um, did, did something have to change on how you approach the problem or how you approach the day to day? Yeah, it, it did. It was it was a big shift. So I, I think, well, I know recruiting and sales are both sales, but they're just in different types of, of ways, I guess. Right. And going back to something you said about, you know, pivoting, I, I do think that as a sales organization, recruiting organization pivoting and Vanessa talked about this during the pandemic is important. But what I was saying is like, you need to make sure as a salesperson that you are aligned with your recruiting team when you say yes to something. And so it's just making sure you understand your capabilities when you're going to your prospects. And, um, and that when you do take something that's outside of your wheelhouse, that you're aligned with your team so that there isn't that, oh my gosh, why did Jordan bring it back these recs? This isn't what we focus on. But if it is, if there is a shift in the market or if there is a shift in how the world does business, right? What we had in COVID during COVID-19, then, then adaptability and shifting is important. And so um, the same sort of shift is important with recruiting and sales, right? So uh, with recruiting, it's I'm recruiting on what a salesperson brought to me and very rarely did I get to interact with the client. And the, one of the most exciting things besides talking with excellent candidates was talking to the customer. When I got to be on those intake calls, I got to listen about the business. Hey, we're having trouble with our supply chain we need somebody to come in and fix that for us or we need somebody to you know our supply chain person is doing the finance uh operations person's job they're doing three jobs we need help we need to supplement or augment this work so that our business can deliver their goals um, and, and things like that and so i was just really interested it helped me be a better recruiter when i was recruiting initially and uh, especially going into technology like i didn't know technology. So I was looking at these resumes. I had to learn the technologies I had to use um, technology to learn about technology, ironically enough, and then ask questions from candidates and then listen to what the these technology stakeholders were talking about. And so the shift from recruiting to sales is really like you're working on what you're given and you're sort of, I wouldn't say limited, but you're limited to the recs you're working on that day. As a salesperson, you can go after whatever you want. There's no limit to who you target. There's no limit to the technologies or the organizations that you target. And for me, that was really exciting. And I could focus on businesses that were interesting to me personally and with technologies that were cutting edge, right? And so uh, it was that greenfield opportunity for me was, was what made that transition. And I just love, I'm very curious. 
I'm very interested in how business and technology intersect because uh, everyday lives basically revolve around that. And so it gave me more freedom to explore that. And it, it was a mindset shift though, and not everybody uh, wants to make that shift. And some people, they just wanna have a great network of, of candidates and, and you need good sales yeah, and recruiting and, you know, to make that happen. Even the sales and recruiting piece of it, um, where we've seen the best uptake or successes in our business is when sales and delivery actually come together as a true team. So, you know, the sales piece is the front end, yeah. cold calling, you know, getting time with the right decision makers. But when you actually have that time with the decision makers, having your head of delivery with you when you're pitching, because they're an expert around their conversion ratios, their resourcing, do they have enough talent to actually um, deliver on what the client's saying? And do you have skill within your team where you're gonna have to ramp up and hire a new recruiter for that specific project? Cause it's like such a specialized niche. Um, and, and that's what we do as, as a team in our business. We've got very clear processes on the sales piece, but when we actually get in front of the key decision makers, we actually integrate each of the key areas of our business and have them on the first call so that we all are on the same page. And when we walk away from that call, we have a debrief and we're like, right, this is how we're gonna pitch, this is the proposal. Can you do it? When can you do it? Do we have the right team that's gonna deliver on that? And then when we're actually handing over that contract to the recruiters, they're actually excited because they've been part of the journey with the sales team. Amazing. Uh, it's good to hear that things don't need to yeah. happen in silos uh, uh, and actually opening doors up helps, helps everything. Um, we're getting to the end over here, so I want to shift the conversation a little bit to the to the future, right? Like there is a, I think, especially in the past year now, since ChatGPT became a, a, a word that you use every day, almost uh, from like not even, you know, hearing about it. Um, what do you think about that? Like, do you look at AI in general and the advancements like is that a risk? Like, is AI coming to take our jobs as well? <laughs> or, or is it an, an opportunity? Like, where, where do you see yourself and this whole agency recruiting domain in the next, like, five years or, like, five years from now? Yeah, I think AI, when it first came out, I love tech, right? So I'm always, like, this eternal optimist and I get excited and it's like a new shiny object and toy that you get to play with. So... I just naively walked in all excited about what AI was going to bring to our business around productivity, efficiency, and knowledge. So as an owner, I don't have to, you know, just rely on contacting somebody else or hiring someone within my organization. I just thought, wow, I'm just going to like ask AI and it's going to give me all this amazing information for free. I'm just going to like be able to use this tool. I couldn't wait, right? And then very, very quickly, you actually start to get a bit sober around what it actually means. And there's so many ethical risks and complications that can come from AI. And I think a lot of work needs to be done around the ethical piece of, especially in recruiting, we're dealing with people's lives, we're dealing with people's data, um, and we're making them promises or we're, we're hiring people into new organizations. And with the with the tool of what AI can do, I think there are dangers that we need to be very aware of and how people are leveraging AI to build their resumes and, and, and building a picture of who they really are and how we actually need to validate that. So I think the big pressure on us as recruiters is to now critically think and critically analyze 
all the information that we're getting from candidates about what their background is, what their resumes look like, even potential partnerships and outsourced collaborations. You get these emails all the time. So I think the risk for cybersecurity, the risk on ethical issues, we just need to be a, just a little bit more slowly paced into just saying, great, like AI is going to be amazing. I think there's definitely going to be efficiencies, especially in our agency of automating a whole lot of tasks that nobody likes to do, especially recruiters. Um, but it's now how do we gain back that time? So the time that we get back because we've automated and we become more efficient, how are we really going to use that time to be better at what we do and connecting people with opportunities? Um, and I don't think you'll ever replace the human connection of what we do when you're dealing with someone who's just been laid off when you're dealing with someone who's just got a job, I don't think AI is ever going to be able to replace that human emotion and that, that feeling that you get when you're really part of changing someone's life or giving them a better future. So, yeah. I, I love it that you brought up the, the risks and, and, and the slow down piece. Uh, the majority of the people I talk with regarding AI the majority is like super enthusiastic and and um, very focused on like what are the things that we can solve and problems and speed up things but yeah there i don't think that there is enough exactly. conversation around the risk the ethical part the the cybersecurity yeah. that you mentioned like like all those things are are immensely and immensely i think that culturally so, Adam, so like, that i'm a mom right that. i've got an 11 year old and a 17 year old going through the schooling system in in seattle um, and I saw AI through their eyes, okay? So where they have to do a thesis or they have to do a test or they have to do a speech, their excitement in this household around ChatGPT and how it was gonna speed up their homework time, um, that was scary to actually witness because it's like, what is the generation that is gonna come out of AI, okay? So it's how do you teach critical thinking? How do you teach kids to not just believe things at face value, but still to take the time to do the research and actually own their opinions and own their own work and own their own thoughts about how they present their understanding to the world. So I think there's a big pressure now on the education system of what kind of generation is gonna be coming out of the schooling when you now have AI as a tool? So they are gonna be using AI. Um, you know, AI has proven to actually get MBA degrees better than than, than people that have studied their whole lives. So, so what is that gonna do to our next generation? And I think um, that's gonna be key just for me as, as like a mom and, and looking through my kids because they're gonna be joining the job market soon. And I just hope that, you know, we're still gonna be putting people into the world that are gonna be thinking and not just um, processing the first bit of information that they see as true i think that's important for everyone yeah. like not just uh uh and currently people kids in education like absolutely but i i think all of us uh, uh myself included should, should also think more about that of like how to how, how to tackle that ai giving you everything uh, uh because it can give you everything to a scary level right like vanessa you mentioned that it can come an MBA with a similar score to a human but if we approach it from a sales standpoint like I've seen systems that 
write really decent sales copy. They can mimic your voice. Uh, heck, they can even mimic your your video stream and, and make you look like, well, not you, make that artificial intelligence look like and speak like right. and talk like, yeah. like you. Um, so I, I'm looking at you, Jordan, because I've seen a lot of tools like this, especially in the, in the in the sales domain. Like, what are your thoughts about that? Like, is that is that a risk? Are you afraid that you lose your job, or are you enthusiastic about the exciting tools that you're getting right now? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, one of my headphones went out. I apologize yeah, I if you can't. Can you hear yeah. me? Okay, still. Okay, okay, so. I, uh, I think the best way to put it, it, it there, there's a saying, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And I think that applies here with AI, right? So uh, Vanessa hit on a lot of things that I open but cautious is, I guess, the approach I would take to it because there are a lot of bad actors that are using AI today to get people's personal information or to impersonate or to fool elderly people into thinking it's a real person and then running off with their information or fake jobs and fake recruiters. Like, so there's a lot of even now, just bad actors that are using it. So what I think is is sales and business is inherently a human aspect, right? There are certain businesses and industries that are commodities and sure AI will automate a lot of that. But I personally like interacting with humans when I buy something, especially something that's expensive or that, that is complicated. And sure, you can have an AI that sounds like me, maybe even looks like me on a screen, but how do you interact with a client when they go off script or when they, answer something that that isn't in the pre-recorded AI's, you know, database, so to speak, right? And then even if you solve that problem, which you theoretically could at some point, given that how advanced it will be, this is years down the road, but from some of Microsoft buddies who work there, work on this stuff, it, it will happen. I still think that recruiting and recruiting sales is, an, is a human business. And that's why I love this business so much. There's a lot of things you can sell, but the relationship aspect of the candidate, the hiring manager, and the relationship in between is amazing. And relationships and networking is how business gets done, period. Technology will enhance that. Technology, may, some jobs may go away, but like Vanessa also said, the stuff that I don't like doing, like all the data entry will become much easier and allow me to connect human to human more often and to do my job better. So again, being the eternal optimist I am, I think that it will it will make salespeople that are good even better and it'll make transactional salespeople struggle. That's kind of where, where I see it going. So put value in those human interactions, listen, you know, solve problems. And I think you'll always be uh, a value to the market. Love it. I hope you'll write. I hope I hope it's your future and not the more <laughs> dystopian future coming. So I really, really, really hope that both of you are 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 correct. And that brings us to the closing notes and um, a lot of a lot of people are stepping into this space of uh, recruitment agency space like right now they are they're stepping in in this weird weird time where a lot of companies are are laying off talent acquisition people with crazy numbers unfortunately and a lot of those folks are thinking about like let's go freelancing, let's start our own agency. And they are starting out in this very weird time where AI is enabling everything, the economy is as it is, uh, uh, some companies are hiring, some companies are firing. So there's a lot of craziness going on right now. Um, what would you tell them? 
Like, what what advice would you give the person who maybe unfortunately got laid off right now or a couple of weeks or a couple of yeah. months ago and now is thinking about freelancing or, or is in the early days of, of that journey? What, what advice would you I would say go for it. Don't even think about it, okay? There's $212 billion is the market share just in the US in the recruiting market. And there's only 27,000 recruiting agencies in the US, okay? When you look at the UK, you've got something like 17,000 recruiting agencies and their market size is tiny compared to ours. So there is opportunity for enough people to go around. And it's how you collaborate and how you really manage your own brand that's gonna give you a piece of that cake. So I think gone are the days where you're looking for a career and job security. Job security, especially in recruiting and what you've seen in the tech crunch, um, job security is how you actually build your own security around your network, your brand, your skills, how you're continuously learning. Um, and don't spend 100% of your time looking for a job. Um, I would totally change your mindset around how you see opportunity and don't be afraid to go through, um, you know, don't just go down the traditional route of what we've always done. So try new things, network. And in terms of freelancing, I think there's so many jobs right now and not enough candidates to fill them that we all need to help business pick up and put the right people in the right roles again. So if there's any recruiter that's out there that's seriously at a crossroads and thinking, should I do this? Should I not do it? Um, ping me. I do it all the time. I speak to recruiters and I give them warts and all stories of, of how I started out. I never imagined that I would have a team like I have um, globally recruiting um, for some of the key senior roles and tech roles uh, in the world. And it's been such an amazing journey. And so it's not for everybody, but if you don't try it you don't know if you're actually going to be able to make it and instead of sitting at home and just posting resumes out to people um really test your network put yourself forward and and research and and, and go for it awesome and thank you for making yourself available to the community and to the uh, recruitment uh, uh, group out there um and i don't think i shared this we we briefly chatted about it before we started recording but actually vanessa really does this a lot of times uh, uh that's how we first connected with uh, vanessa she was an amazing and still is a mentor figure to me when i started out my journey in, in running a recruitment agency i just reached out to vanessa and asked like hey do you want to chat and she wanted and look here we are still chatting. So uh, we'll we'll have your LinkedIn profile in the description. So if people want to, you know, hit you up, uh, 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 they will know how to Brilliant. how to get in touch. Um, thank you. Uh, what about you, Jordan? Uh, uh, what what advice would you give to to someone starting out right now and maybe trying to land their first few couple of clients? Yeah, I would say you know just work on mastery of this of your craft right so for me it's just getting better at my craft getting better at what i'm taking to my customer getting better at listening and so if you're just starting out get around people who are awesome get around people who are doing what you want to do and add value to those people and i, I kind of hate to say that because you hear it on every podcast but it's so true and like start building that network now because i've been uh, i have a, a 
very good network now that I leverage for many different reasons. And if I, there's anything I can do to help, I'm always open as well. Like Vanessa said, to have a call or if I can make a call or if I have a connection somewhere to help somebody else, because I have been extended that, uh, that kindness from other people when I was early on in my career, but you have to seek it out, right? People who are good at their craft, they're busy. And so you have to find those people, learn from them and then, and then do the work. Right. So it's one thing to listen to people on a podcast that's everywhere now, or to, you know, take someone to coffee and listen to what they say and then never do anything with it. But as somebody who people reach out to now for various different reasons, I'm like, Hey, how'd you buy that rental property? How have you been in staffing for so long? It's I give them advice and then they never do anything with it. And so like when you have that opportunity to connect with people who are where you want to be, you take their advice and do something with it, or better yet, add value to their business. If they're a recruiter, find them a candidate on that hard to fill position, like solve a problem for them. And when you do that, lots of doors will open for you and you'll build a reputation of somebody who works hard, does what you say you're gonna do, shows up every day. When you have that kind of a reputation, people come looking for you, but it takes time to build that. So start now, start planting those seeds, you know, build that well now so that when you're thirsty, you have a well that, that that's there for you and ready when you need it. So. Um, that would be my biggest piece of advice. Amazing. Thank you. Very, very wise words from, from both of you. Uh, and that brings us to the last question. If people want to hear more from you uh, and learn more about, you know, what you do, um, how can listeners connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn is the way to go. It's, it's kind of where, where we hang out. So LinkedIn, um, otherwise just my email, uh, which is, I, I, I pretty much have that on LinkedIn too. So just... Just reach out um, and yeah, look forward to, to connecting, networking. And the one thing that I took away from the Sourcing 7 event that we were all at, um, that Jordan spoke about earlier at Expedia, was community. You know, we're a community and when layoffs are happening at the rate that they are happening in the talent acquisition space, um, we are an amazing community of people and we've all had knocks and we've all kind of had to go through transformations and restructuring in our careers and it's don't don't suffer alone and in silence and if you are a recruiter that has a job and that things are going great for you you know just think what did i do this week that helped maybe somebody else that is going through a really scary time, like how are you helping and being part of the talent acquisition community? And I think that's been my biggest learning at the Sourcing 7 um, events and the Northwest Recruiters Association that I sat on the board with is there is an amazing community of, of talent out there and um, it's not like a one-way thing. It's like, what are you doing to give to the community? And don't be afraid to kind of reach out if, if, if you're struggling or you need, you need support. There's a lot of people that are willing to help you or that you could help that you don't even know that you've got talents that they're looking for right now. Awesome. Thank you. What about you, Jordan? Where yeah. can people get in touch with you? Yeah, just message me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm an open networker, so shoot me a note and, uh, and you know, I'm happy to go to coffee or meet with you in person. I'm a salesperson. I love human to human interaction. That's my absolute favorite. So if I have an opportunity to help, if I have an opportunity to solve a business problem or just give some advice to people who are in a hard time right now, like Vanessa said, you always want to give, give back, give more than you receive and it will come back to you. Like it really will. And that's sounds like a platitude, but it's not. And so reach out. And if there's anything I can do to help, I'm happy to do so. Awesome. Thank you very much for both of you. Thank you very much for giving your time, your thoughts and, and sharing it with, with our 
S7 community and everyone else as well. So th thank you very much for that. Thank you very much and see you all next time.